This podcast is produced and copyrighted by 83 Bar Incorporated. It is presented as a general informational resource, and neither the sponsor nor the guests are rendering any medical advice. Any opinions or claims presented by the guests are their own. Welcome to The Patients Speak, healthcare innovations accelerating the patient journey. We share interviews with healthcare executives, medical providers, and patient advocates. Today, we're going to hear the journey of Seth Rutberg. We have to bring them in at the beginning throughout drug development. We have to understand what their needs are, not just guess what their needs are. Without us, there's no trials. Without us, there's no potential treatment option. So really understanding what are the most burdensome pieces of your condition. Here's your host, best-selling author, Mark Stinson. Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, The Patients Speak, to make sure that we're listening to the patients throughout their healthcare journey. And today we're going to hear the story and the journey of Seth Rutberg. Thanks, Mark. I I appreciate joining the podcast today. Well, Seth is an advocate in a couple of different ways. He himself has been diagnosed with the gene for Huntington's disease and advocates for genetic testing in general for many rare conditions. Seth, I think as we start off, you know, with our theme of the patient speak, what do you feel as a patient advocate that we, the industry, need to hear the most from patients with genetic disease and rare diseases? Great question and happy to start us off. When it comes to just genetic testing in general, it's going to vary depending on where the patient's at. I mean, I know it may sound cliche, but where they're at in their health odyssey or their health journey, right? Because in my instance, I saw my mom go through Huntington's disease for 17 years of my life. and It slowly deteriorated her both physically and mentally. And it was kind of like watching someone on an island where the water continues to go up and up and up and there's nothing for you to do besides just watch. And so for me, I wanted to prepare my life of what that might look like. But what's interesting about Huntington's disease is that, you know, only about 10% of people actually go through genetic testing because of there's no treatment and there's no cure. And, you know, what's the point of knowing if you're going to end up getting sick? And so I think that's very interesting because there's about 40,000 Americans with it with another 200,000 plus at risk. So, you know, being in this 10% category is very interesting, but with genetic testing in general, I think it's, it's important to have the right resources and support around because I, I didn't necessarily have a genetic counselor. I didn't have the ins and outs of what does it entail if I tested negative, right? And having a sister who's at risk and what is that going to make me feel like? Am I going to have survivor's guilt? And so genetic counseling is, is becoming more prevalent. And very important to know about those next steps because, you know, you hear stories from time to time of how fortunately people get the results on the phone or they get it through their primary care. And then it's like, all right, now what do I do? And that was kind of how I felt. You know, what do I do next? Who do I tell? You know, what support do I have? I'm very fortunate. I have some good friends who helped me, but not everyone may be in that same position that I was in when deciding this very personal decision. Yes. Well, Seth, if we could, let's take that question head on then, because as you said, well, what's the use, so to speak? People may have asked themselves that. What do you think the value of the genetic test and the knowing, you know, for answers, no matter what the journey may lead to? It's interesting as we look even back at the last few years with the the pandemic, right, where a lot of us were living with the unknowns, right? And and I was kind of in that boat with genetic testing. Do I want to know or do I want to not know? 
And at what point am I ready to know? And so I decided to leap in to know what those results entail. And I think, you know, there's pros and cons to it. For me, it was like, okay, now I can prepare my life, whether it's a future family, career setting, understanding what may happen if there's not a treatment in time. But then there's the other side of it of what we call symptom hunting, right? Of, oh, is this a symptom of Huntington's disease? Or is this just me being typical 32-year-old at this time of just forgetting an earlier conversation. And sometimes it's, it's tough not to overthink it of not thinking about, okay, well, how much time do I have left until I might show symptoms? And do I want to go through what my mom went through and what my friends have gone through and what other friends in the Huntington's disease community has gone through and unfortunately passed away? So these are a lot of questions that I'm thinking about. Unfortunately, a lot more than I probably should, but I think it's understanding, well, what's in my control now? What can I do now in this very moment to make that change? And that's what I'm trying to do is is push research in that direction of, hey, I don't have time to, to wait around for a potential treatment or wait around until I'm clinically diagnosed to participate in a study. I want to participate now. I, I'm willing to take that risk, right, of, of maybe taking a potential treatment or placebo and being able to say, well, it's better than waiting and not being able to do anything and just kind of wait until it's it's too late to treat. We'll continue Mark's interview with today's guest in just a moment. Our sponsor, 83Bar, offers proven patient recruitment solutions for medical product launches and clinical trials. The team at 83Bar can help you achieve better patient outcomes, find client success stories and market reports, along with resources like videos and publications, all on their website, 83Bar.com. Well, I wanted to circle back on a phrase you used, and I wanted to underscore it a bit. You called it a health odyssey, which I think is even beyond a journey. I mean, a journey says it's a well-tread path. You know, we know the direction that we're going. Uh, but an odyssey has a much broader kind of uh, sometimes we'll be lost, sometimes there'll be danger. How, how do you differentiate between those two? And why do you choose to use the word odyssey? You know, when I think of like an odyssey, it's it's everlasting and it's never going to just kind of go away where, you know, OK, I'm taking a journey across the world or whatever the case might be. It's, you know, I think the journey eventually has an end or an odyssey seems to be everlasting. And even if, for say, I tested negative, there's still other people in my life where there's that kind of part of that odyssey or that path that I have to be a part of until there's maybe a treatment or an effective cure to, to slow it down. So I think that's important for people to realize is that it, it doesn't just go away. You know, there's always going to be kind of a timeline, whether it's Huntington's disease or another rare genetic condition where it's trying to better understand how we can make sure that we're getting the support throughout that, that aspect of our life. Um, not just in that moment and kind of being re reactive, but being proactive of what are my options now? What are my options possibly in the future? And what what can I do in my control to make sure not just myself, but my family has the best quality of life it can? Mm -hmm. And when you're taking on this role of a patient advocate, you know, you've often represented patients to pharma companies or to testing companies or uh, even health plans and things like that. What message are you trying to bring or what viewpoint are you trying to bring the industry partners that uh, you often work with? One of the things that I've learned, especially over the last few years, is 
you know, a lot of times when you think about a patient, right, is that is kind of considered your your end user, right? That's the person you're trying to get a hold of. If you're a sponsor, health plan, that is that is the point of contact. What I see as a challenge in industry is that we will make assumptions that we think we know what's best for the patient, or we'll speak with an HCP, a doctor, which isn't a bad thing. But we don't take those first two steps, which is actively listening, learning, and then implementing a plan or strategy. And I think that's what I try to emphasize with industry, with anyone, whenever I do these speaking engagements is saying, we have to bring them in throughout drug development. We have to bring them in at the beginning. We have to understand what their needs are, not just guess what their needs are. And we can't just bring them in when it's on the company's timeline. It has to be on the patient's timeline, right? Because we're the ones that without us, there's no trials. Without us, there's no potential treatment options, right? And so we're the ones taking that big risk. But if we want to take that risk, you know, if it's a trial, right? Like how often do you want to come in for the study? And do you need support for travel expenses or childcare, dog care, or whatever the case might be? And really understanding what are the most burdensome pieces of your condition? You know, maybe one company or someone thinks, oh, they really need help with, you know, we'll take in Huntington's disease with their uh, movement disorders, which is one part. But I've spoken with many community members, I've done surveys, and I've learned that it's actually they more of them want support on the cognitive decline. So how do we make sure that that's being implemented in the study? So I think that's the big piece that I always try to emphasize is one is always get that patient experience, bring it in throughout drug development. Never think it's too early to bring that perspective in. The other part is, you know, treat us as partners, as collaborators versus maybe treating us as just another patient, right? Because we're here to help. We're here. We want to help. I would say patients want it more than industry. They want it more because it's their livelihood that's at stake. And many times in industry, you know, you were talking about think of us as people and patients and not market research subjects or not advisory board members or not as clinical trial, you know, participants. Uh, how does that feel different to you? How do you know the difference? I guess I'm asking. If somebody's just checking the box saying, well, we talked to some patients or they're really doing what you described as active listening and really responding to what you say. How do you feel the difference? I think the first thing is action speaks louder than words, right? I mean, it's it's one thing where when you see them say, yeah, we're going to do this, we're going to do that versus actually implementing a plan. I think if we're honing in on just industry and, or anyone that says, hey, we're patient-centered, well, how are you patient-centered? How are you really implementing that? Not just saying, yeah, we spoke with a patient this once, one time this year and we're patient-centered, but hey, we have a whole internal and external patient engagement strategy. Oh, we have a point of contact, a point person that oversees patient engagement at our company. You know, some industry has, you know, in their C-suite, a patient engagement staff, you know, staff member. And I'm like, that's them making, helping bring in that patient perspective throughout, not just at the bottom of, of the company, but at the highest level. And so I think you know, the other part is, yeah, treating us as as partners and as patients. And, you know, I taught myself a lot of this and I, I say, OK, well, if I can teach myself, how do I teach others also to be educated enough to understand the ins and outs of drug development, to understand, you know, when you do go provide your your valuable time and your insight that you're going to get some type of 
speaker honorarium or compensation that offsets your expenses or, you know, you're taking time out of your day and really trying to make sure others are aware of it. I think the last thing I would say is, you know, and I see this, I know it's in protocol, you know, clinical trial protocols. And uh, I hear it sometimes from, you know, healthcare professionals is, is the term subject. I mean, I'm like, I feel like when I hear that, I, I cringe because I'm like, I'm not a lab rat, right? I'm not like in this little cage where I'm doing that. You're doing these tests on me. Like I'm a patient, I'm a human being. Like you got to ask yourself, if you were in that situation, what would you want? And if you feel like you wouldn't participate in that study, then your protocol itself is probably not the right one. Interesting. And to explore that a little bit more from the patient's point of view, I guess, in terms of their participation in trials, you know, you say, I'm not a subject, you know, I don't want to just be poked and prodded or you know, <laughs> tested in research. Again, how could that be better communicated? How could we embrace and involve more patients in the clinical trial, both development and the participation? Yeah, I think for the development pieces, when trying to develop a protocol is, is, you know, reaching out to the community, reach out to your patient advocacy organizations, or, you know, if they can connect you with other community members and, and gathering insight through, you know, it, yeah, it could be, a, it wouldn't just be a one-off patient advisory board, but like, you know, having multiple meetings with these different community members, patients and caregivers and key opinion leaders and understanding what are these different perspectives, but getting honing in on what are the challenges of the community and then how can we potentially help it? I think when it comes to trials, my big thing is how do we work closer with patient advocacy organizations? They're the ones who have trust within the community. And I think it's challenging because at times, like what they're really good at, and what I mean, they, you know, patient advocacy organizations, they're good at providing the right information to their community. And I think we can work with them on trial awareness, trial education, making sure the community knows that this is an option. It may, you know, if it's an ultra rare disease, it could be their only option. But if it's multiple condition or multiple studies, then it's kind of making sure that they're aware of all their options that they can then speak with their doctor about. But I think we have to do a better job at educating the community on what the studies are, how many site visits there are, uh, what does it entail, right? Is it an oral pill is very different than a spinal tap versus gene therapy, which is, you know, brain surgery, right? And so what's the risk a patient's willing to take? And we need to understand that first before trying to start the design of the, of the study. Mm -hmm. And let's explore this word community that I have heard it called the HD community. And in many other conditions, you know, we have the arthritis community or we have the cancer community. But thinking about the Huntington disease community, what is the nature of that community? How would you describe it as a community? Great question. I think this community has, is definitely hungry for a treatment option. I mean, I'm sure there's many that can say the same thing, but we're willing to participate in studies. We're willing to take that risk. Uh, even those like myself who are gene positive, but aren't clinically diagnosed yet in this like pre-symptomatic stage. It's just, I think what the challenge is making sure that there is collaboration early enough in the drug development cycle. It's interesting because I've been involved now in, in Huntington's disease for over 13 years. And, you know, I think when even prior to that, when I first learned my mom had it, you know, you'd hear, oh, there's a treatment right around the corner. 
you know, we're, we're getting closer, we're getting closer. And yes, there's a lot more companies working in, in the space, but it, you know, I'm running out of time myself. And so I asked myself, well, what can we do to, to make sure we can kind of change the message of, yes, we're hopeful and we're waiting, but we need to start acting with urgency. And you've seen it in the ALS community. I think that's a great example of, they're like, hey, we only have maybe three to five years. Like people are dying. We need to do something now. And they've brought a lot of change over the last few years, uh, you know, both in, at the policy level, but also seeing potential, you know, FDA approvals happening. And I think that's something I would love to see the Huntington's disease community do more of is advocating on, hey, we don't have, yes, it's a longer, slow progression disease, but you lose a you lose your family member twice. You lose them once to the disease, then you lose them again once they pass away. So I think it's it's also just tougher to watch them slowly get worse and worse. And so that's what you know I'm trying to work on is how do we change that message and say, hey, we gotta act with urgency. Like let us be partners with industry, with healthcare professionals, with the FDA, saying, Hey, we wanna help do something now. We don't wanna wait. And there is there is progress, but there's also been setbacks with several companies who either didn't get the right results that they were looking for or had some adverse events. And so they had to put their trial on pause. But I think it's just trying to figure out what role can the patient play in continuing on with, with drug development and hopefully getting one, actually getting one step closer to a treatment, which is, you know, working with the patient community. Yes. And thinking about, I mean, when the companies don't or the trials don't achieve, you know, their objectives, that's one thing that's disappointing for the company, obviously, and their investment in a new drug. But how does that affect you? How does this affect others in the community? I think about that odyssey word. It's like all of a sudden I participated in a trial. It didn't work out. It didn't pan out. Maybe I want to be involved in another one. Maybe I don't. How, how does that sort of disappointment affect you personally and other patients you know? It's tough. I mean, uh, you know, I've had, I've had friends who've participated in, in studies. Fortunately, myself, I, I want to, but I don't necessarily qualify. I will say I always manage my own expectations because I have learned about the ins and outs of drug development, understanding that not every trial is going to be successful. And I think that's something is that industry could work on is understanding how do we manage those expectations with patients and caregivers to say, hey, we're, we're hoping, but there is a chance that this may not work out. And then even when it doesn't work out, how do we make sure that industry is sharing those results so that we can move research forward, right? And I think that's something that maybe takes a lot longer than it should. You know, I'm still trying to figure that out myself of when it doesn't work out, how do we make sure we still have that that data for other opportunities? But you have to be mindful of, of the community sensitivities when it doesn't work out. You know, there's one study in particular that didn't meet its endpoints, but, you know, I had friends in it and they, they said it was very tough, some very low points because they're like, do I want to participate in another study and go through that whole trial 18 months on whether or not you may not even receive that treatment. It could have been the placebo the whole time. And you dedicated time out of your day or out of your life to do this. And so when the company is saying we want this just as much as you, you know, that's one thing I, I would recommend not to say because the community is like, well, this is my life. So can't be saying that. But I think when you do find out that the results don't work, it's it's tough because as a 
pharmaceutical company, they have to share this right away with like public, their investors, right? So there's no like inside trading. Exactly. But I think the thing that they miss out on is making sure that they have a plan of a communication to the patients who participated so that they're hearing it at least around the same time as the investors, because I've seen it uh, where, you know, they, they saw a tweet about the study that they were in. They heard it through the grapevines and they're like, well, what's going on? Like, I want answers. And they didn't hear from the company until at the end of that week. So imagine that you're just like sitting there being like, I just, I'm seeing all this right. news. You're what's going in on. the study and you don't know what's going on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, it's making sure I have the communication plan, right? It's kind of like a contingency of, of a business, right? If things don't work out, here's what we at least have prepared in case things take a, a different turn. Very helpful. Well, and listeners, I want you to know that before we started talking, Seth gave me the go ahead, so to speak, <laughs> the open book, kind of say, ask me anything. And Seth, that's where I wanted to pick up. And, and you've talked about learning, but you've got a very personal mission statement that uh, I saw is even tattooed on your back. And it does have learning and living as a part of that. I hope you uh, could tell us about that. Yes, I do have I do have a tattoo on my back. It says, uh, "Live as if you were to die tomorrow. Learn as if you were to live forever." You know, it's it's a Gandhi quote, but it's also personal because uh, one of my good friends in college, his name is Jake. He, you know, unfortunately passed away the day before our last semester of senior year in college. And I think what was interesting is this this quote was something that was found in his high school yearbook, and it was. It's on his headstone and, and it's because Jake was always living in the moment and understanding that how to just enjoy every minute. And it also made me realize about my friends and just how life can be too short. And so for me, you know, I try to do my best and give myself that reminder of, of how do I live in this very moment, but continue to learn as well and continue to teach myself by learning from others. I think that's what I love about just meeting new people such as yourself, Mark, and understanding, you know, different perspectives and trying to figure out how can I take that to then share with others or teach myself a different way to look at life or look at, you know, the healthcare system. Well, thanks for sharing that. And thanks for these comments today. I'd love for you to leave us with a call to action. Industry people might be listening, but also other patients, clinicians, study sponsors of all kinds, what would be a call to action to us to listen better to the patients? How could we do that? I would say the the call to action when it comes to listening better is to make sure that you are truly working side by side with the community with the community you're trying to serve, patients, caregivers, healthcare professionals, but you know, for this sake, Speak with the patients early and throughout your process, whether you're in the pharmaceutical industry or in the clinical trial recruitment space, right? If you're trying to find patients for studies you're supporting, well, you need to also build that trust and build relationships with them and also try to be as transparent as possible with them based off of what you're able to share with them. I think that's important because no one wants to be blindsided. No one wants to feel like they're being taken advantage of. And so if we can build that trust in those relationships and being transparent, it's going to help make things a little bit more manageable for all parties involved. So I would say continue to 
learn from other community members, bring them in, whether it's through like a, a lunch and learn or, you know, speaking engagement or attending conferences and learning from the community and getting to know them first before you're saying, hey, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? But hey, let's listen to them. Let's let's understand them better. And then we can try to find ways to work together with them. Well, thanks for that, for that call to action. We really need to take this to heart. And listeners, my guest has been Seth Rutberg. You can learn more about him and his work and his patient advocacy at his website, SethRutberg.com. And I really advise you to take a few minutes to watch his TEDx talk as he describes this journey and he describes not only uh, the way he learned, but how he is also helping others learn and make a difference in the community. Seth, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, no, thank you again. I, I appreciate it. And, you know, I, I hope we can continue to bring in that patient perspective throughout the drug development, but more importantly, how do we get closer to that patient timeline instead of the, the company's timeline and trying to find a balance there? Yes. Well, and listeners, come back again next time. We're going to continue these conversations with patient advocates, with providers, with industry executives about how listening and how that will accelerate the innovations that can improve the patient journey. I'm Mark Stenson, and we'll continue to listen to The Patients Speak. Thanks for listening to The Patients Speak, healthcare innovations accelerating the patient journey with Mark Stinson. Presented by 83Bar, the patient activation company. Learn how 83Bar listens, educates, and navigates patients at 83Bar.com. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Subscribe now so you won't miss an episode of The Patients Speak. This podcast is produced by BSB Media. We also host another show you might enjoy, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. It's a top-rated podcast featuring interviews with creators around the world. We help you gain the confidence and connections to launch your creative work out into the world. Look for Unlocking Your World of Creativity on your favorite podcast app.